Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. For those folks who have debilitating back pain, it can make doing any activity really much more difficult and maybe even stop people from doing the things that they love. Today we're going to talk with Dr. David, Dr. Daniel Choi. He is the interventional pain specialist and president of the Spine and Pain Center of Kauai and his nurse practitioner, Megan D'Amelio, about what are some of the things that can be done for people who have severe back pain and how can that help them to get back to doing the activities that they love. So thank you for joining me on The Body Show today. Great to be here, Kathy. Now, Happy to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks for taking your time because I know that it's, you know, everybody's busy with, with a lot of the different areas in healthcare of things going on. And coronavirus seems to be something that everyone is extremely concerned about, as we ought to be. Um, but there are still people who get common things. And one of the most common things, 75% of all adults will at some point in their lifetime experience back pain bad enough to go see a doctor. So in some cases, this becomes so serious that they wind up coming to see an interventional pain specialist. Uh, Dr. Choi, what sort of situations or conditions do you see in your practice? And not everybody who has back pain gets to the level where they need to see you, but what are some of the common symptoms of the folks who do? So the most common condition is degenerative disc disease where the disc in between the vertebral bodies are undergoing damage and causing problems. And the most common areas are probably in the lumbar spine, and then we see it in the cervical spine as well. So the lumbar spine is the low back, and it can present as pain in the low back, or it could uh, have a herniation that irritates the nerve, and you can have pain shooting down the leg or both legs sometimes, and uh, and it can be pretty debilitating. Sometimes uh, it could be minor. You have a little twinge, and it gets better in a couple of days, but by the time they come see me, it's severe, and uh, it's impacting their quality of life, their ability to work and perform the normal kind of things that they are used to performing. And so what are some of the initial things that you tell folks when they come in with back pain? I mean, if they've gotten to the point where they've seen their regular doctor, should they have already done some things like physical therapy or tried some other types of treatments? And do they need to do imaging studies before they see you? Or is that something you can assess when you see them in your office? So oftentimes they have gone through physical therapy. They have tried some basic medications, anti-inflammatories, muscle relaxers, um, sometimes even steroids. Oftentimes they have had an X-ray at least, and sometimes even MRIs if it's uh, severe and, and hasn't really responded to the treatment. And so um, we evaluate all those things and see if we can come up with a good plan for them. Um, if they don't have any imaging studies, then I oftentimes order them to get more information so that I can find out where the disease process is originating from, where the, where the target is. So when I direct a therapy, I know exactly what I'm going after. And what sort of therapies are we talking about doing when we talk about directing it or by the time somebody gets to the point where they're seeing seeing yourself, interventional pain specialty, what sort of treatment options do you have available? So initially, um, the, the basic 
intervention would be a steroid injection in that particular area if they failed the other more conservative treatments. So, for instance, they, they're having pain shooting down their left leg and the back of the leg, and um, we see that on the MRI that they have a disc herniation at the L5-S1 level, irritating that nerve uh, going down the, the left side. And it's not getting better on its own, and um, even oral steroid therapy hasn't helped, physical therapy hasn't helped, then we need to take it up a notch and put some medicine right where the problem is, where the nerve irritation is. So that's when I do an epidural steroid injection. Basically what that means is some steroids in that epidural space right where that nerve is getting irritated. And so to focus the, the therapy there is important because instead of putting steroids over your entire body, you take that very powerful medicine put it right where the problem is under fluoroscopic guidance and allow it to work and calm down the irritated nerve and calm down that whole uh, cascade of uh, pain reaction that's happening so that they can be restored and, and return back to function. Now, Megan, I'm curious, when you see folks who come in and they have that sort of ster- epidural steroid ejection, do they wind up participating again or returning to doing physical therapy, do you think that sometimes the expectations that people have might be that the injection cured me and now I'm good forever? Or should they really be focusing on trying to do more of the exercise and therapy that maybe their pain limited them in doing before? Sure. Um, Great, great question. Uh, We try to manage our patients' expectations from the very beginning. Um, there's not one magic remedy that we can offer that's going to to be um, the cure for for pain. Uh, pain needs to be approached from 360 degrees, and so part of that is offering the epidural steroid injection. But there's also um, the the idea behind the steroid injection is to help patients feel well enough to engage in activities that are going to strengthen their core, maintain their flexibility, and allow them um, to strengthen the muscles that support the low back and improve overall mobility and function. So some of the things maybe they couldn't do before they got the injection, the goal is to be able to do that, and sometimes the injection helps to facilitate that. It kind of provides a bridge so that they can go back into doing the therapies and strengthening their body. Do most patients who who see you and get the injections, do they go then to do the therapy or does it take a little convincing for them to start getting back into those exercises, maybe out of fear or out of a thought they don't need it? I think by and large, our patients are motivated to get better and will do whatever it takes to, to get back to their previous level of function. Um, that being said, there are there are patients that um, need a little bit more support and encouragement, and um, just being a coach and a resource for our patients um, to encourage them along their journey because, you know, chronic pain is not only physically debilitating, but it has a, a toll on your emotional and, and psychological well-being, too. So um, we need to be, be there to support them in those ways as well. Dr. Joy? Yes. Um, so we basically treat everything from head to toe. The epidural steroid injection is just one example. But um, the main purpose of our treatment is not to do an injection per se or 
or do um, some kind of um, interventions with the spine. The main purpose is to help them and support them, to encourage them to get back to being able to do what they can do. And, and where I come in with intervention is if there's a barrier for them to do the exercise, if there's a barrier because of the pain, uh, some sort of a um, disability, some weakness, um, severe uh, irritation to a particular area, but I come in to decrease that pain, to decrease that irritation so that they can get back to doing the exercise that they need to. And the physical therapy, as you mentioned, is really key. And then ultimately, the patient's ability to work on their own to continue to uh, strengthen their, their body and support their spine and, and improve their core and so forth is, is really key. So oftentimes, I think patients do get motivated, especially if they see the results and see that they're able to do the things which were which they were not able to do before. And and so um, and if they don't, then we <laughs> gently, firmly, um, repetitively over time try to encourage them and um, say that hey, this is what really needs to happen. You can't just sit there and um, expect everything to be. All right, I'm learning more about the back. Dr. Kathleen Kozak here. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Daniel Choi of the Pain and Spine Center of Kauai and with his nurse practitioner, Megan D'Amelio. And we're going to talk more about what are some of the things that go beyond the basic treatment. What else can be done to help folks who have chronic back pain, nerve blocks, etc.? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Daniel Choi on the line from Spine and Pain Center of Kauai. He's an interventional pain specialist and his nurse practitioner, Megan D'Amelio. And we're talking about what to do with people who have chronic severe back pain. Now, right at the top of the hour, we talked about the different types of locations, lumbar back pain, that low back area, and then sometimes pain in the neck area, which can at times radiate down the arms. And we talked about the basic treatment that you mentioned, Dr. Choi. You mentioned uh, basic injections could be epidural injections, but there are some other types of injections that I know some of the interventional pain specialists can do. What might be an indication for a nerve block or a facet injection? How is that different than epidural injections? And is it as successful? Absolutely. That's a, a really uh, good um, area to delve into. Uh, the epidural injection, as I had described earlier, has to do with a nerve irritation, usually a major nerve, um, like the sciatic nerve going down the leg. But there are other smaller nerves, and there's other conditions that might not involve the disc itself. And so the facet joint is a, a common area where there is pathology and um, facets are joints all up and down the spine and when you have irritation of those facet joints it causes pain and so an injection into those joints may actually relieve some of the symptoms and if uh, the case is severe we do a test block uh, of the nerves associated with those 
um, joints, and there's a real small nerves called medial branches. And if the blocks are successful, the next step would be to actually conduct an unablation of those small nerves and knock them out of commission. The nerves serve an important function in letting us know that something's not right and there's pain. When there's chronic pain, where you know that situation, and if it prevents us from exercising, then actually causes the problem. So we identify some of these nerves that are only involved in the pain of the joint, pain with the joint, and we knock them out because they're not useful anymore. And then without that pain, then the patients can exercise more effectively and work towards strengthening everything. And so to that end, uh, we offer some blocks of those nerves and then when indicated, ablation of those nerves. How long does an ablation last? Is it something that is one and done or do the nerves grow back or could you have to do this multiple times? Sure. So we don't actually kill the nerve. It's just the disruption of the nerve. So they can regenerate, reconstitute, and cause problems down the line. If uh, we work diligently and strengthen everything, there's a chance that the, uh, even, the, even though the nerve comes back, the pain may be much improved. However, if the pain does come back and we need to repeat, then, then we can do so. We can definitely repeat the ablation process. Um, typically... I consider a successful procedure where I get at least six months of good relief. But uh, in many cases, if you get a good uh, ablation, then it may last much longer than that. There are situations where patients have decreased pain for several years even. And um, But if, again, if, if the condition comes back, and then we can test and see if it's the same thing coming back, then we can ablate again. So it sounds like if somebody comes in with back pain, the idea is to first identify the target of what's causing it. Is it a disc pinching on a nerve? Is it something that is structural in the back? And would you say that some of the interventions that you do, is it an effort to sort of avoid having surgery? I mean, I think that for some folks, surgery is truly their last resort, and they'd like to do everything else they can prior to surgery, which of course includes some of their own physical activity and core strengthening and and back muscle strengthening. Is this a a way that people might not need to do surgery if there's not really a structural target for for doing an operation? Surgery comes in many forms. There can be minimally invasive uh, surgeries with um, just a a slight disruption of the musculature and, and others spine structures, or it may be a very large surgery with removal of bone and, and instrumentation with uh, rods and screws and so forth. And so um, we want to try to avoid the larger surgeries if at all possible, but sometimes they are necessary. Uh, the larger surgeries cause lots of collateral damage with um, sacrifice of muscles or um, damage to muscles and scar tissue formations and so forth. So um, there are many minimally invasive procedures that are being developed, some of which we offer here as well. But basically, you want to get to the target and treat the problem with least disruption of the surrounding tissue as possible. And a needle is very minimally disruptive. Um, and then we use uh, other instruments that are maybe uh, can be considered as larger needles and so forth, uh, pokes um, into the spine. Um, um, and then... When necessary, and if there's instability or there's just severe disease, severe stenosis, and especially if there's nerve compromise, then you 
do need to go to surgery um, ASAP because you don't want to have permanent damage. So there's different elements depending on what the source of the pain is. The treatment is going to target whatever that source is. And in some cases, it may just purely be surgical. And in other cases, there may be some other interventions that can help to reduce the pain and then improve the function and then maybe restore somebody's ability to get back to their level of activities that they that they enjoy. Now, we've talked a little bit about arthritis and degenerative disc disease being a source, but there are some other reasons why people have some troubles with back pain and something that I'm seeing, unfortunately, too much of because I think my patient population tends to be uh, older in some cases, are compression fractures. That's another source of fairly significant pain that some people experience as they get older. What are some of the things we can do to help support people who have compression fractures as a source of their pain? So compression fracture can result from osteoporosis, from traumatic um, injury, or from pathologic disease with um, metastatic uh, cancer into the spine. And so depending on the degree of the, uh, the disease and how much pain it's causing, uh, we have different modalities of treatment. Um, if you have a fracture but it's not very painful, then uh, we just support them with um, um, possibly some breakthrough medications, uh, physical therapy, um, possibly bracing and um, fall precaution. And uh, we also um, help them with um, treatment with osteoporosis if that's the reason. And then when it's really severe and necessary, then we can perform what's called vertebral augmentation, where I go into the, the fractured vertebral body and inject a little bit of uh, bone cement and stabilize the fracture. The pain relief is um, relatively immediate. Um, within 24 hours, they have significant relief of that acute, sharp pain generated by the, the broken bone, and uh, they get great relief, which restores their function, their ability to cough, take deep breaths, exercise, uh, dramatically reducing potential comorbidities due to um, the incapacitating pain. So that may be an option for people who have compression fractures, but you mentioned there's another group that might have uh, pathologic disease, and by that, I imagine you're meaning that there might be cancer that could be invading the spine and causing severe pain. What are some of the treatments that can be done for patients who experience that? So, um, one of the uh, one of the procedures related with the vertebral augmentation that we offer is when the tumor is identified, um, can actually go into that body in the same process, that vertebral body, and do a tumor ablation um, by radiofrequency lesioning. It's a thermal ablation to debulk that tumor mass and, and decrease the, the problem. And then um, we use that same process uh, used for the compression fractures by uh, filling that void with uh, bone cement and stabilizing that fracture. So they, they will have um, effective therapy against the, the tumor itself and stabilization of the fracture and decrease in, in pain. And the decrease in pain is very significant. 
which would be the goal. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. I have Dr. Daniel Choi on the line. He is from the Spine and Pain Center of Kauai and his nurse practitioner, Megan D'Amelio. And when we come back, we're going to be talking some more about some of the experiences that the patients have had. And Megan, I'm going to have you share some stories of success. I hope that we can let everybody know that there is certainly a light at the end of the tunnel for those folks who have severe back troubles that might even have some treatment options available. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Daniel Choi on the line from the Spine and Pain Center of Kauai, and he is an interventional pain specialist. And I also have as a nurse practitioner, Megan D'Amelio. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about what happens with those folks who might have tumors in the spine and what can be done to help them. And Dr. Choi, you mentioned that there can be a similar process to how we handle compression fractures, a way to sort of augment that area of the spine to help reduce pain and discomfort. Megan, I'm sure you've been in the office and seen some of these procedures and seen some of the patients who have experienced it. Do you have any particular success stories you can think of? Um. Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, several patients that suffer from uh, advanced um, uh, cancer diagnoses. And, um, you know, uh, one person I'm thinking in particular um, came in with a metastatic cancer to the spine. Um, and uh, he was in significant discomfort um, to the point where he was incapacitated, which then affected his, uh, you know, he was depressed and uh, he couldn't engage in activities that gave him pleasure or joy on top of having this um, very serious um, cancer diagnosis and getting treatment for that, which can be, um, can be, have a high symptom burden. So uh, we started seeing him and, and my focus was um, symptom management with, um, both medications and non-pharmacologic interventions as well. Um, and I started seeing him kind of on a, a biweekly basis uh, until we got his symptoms under control. And um, his uh, cancer is under control. Um, he's receiving immunotherapy, and he is playing softball uh, twice a week, um, going swimming and uh, doing things that bring him joy and um increases quality of life and, and, and meaning. So wow. I mean, playing softball really and swimming. Great. Yeah, it sounds fabulous, you know, from somebody who couldn't really do much because of severe problems with pain related to metastatic cancer to being out there and enjoying the great outdoors is a huge success. And I'm certain that's fulfilling just to be even be part of that story and to have helped take him down that course of treatment and seeing him do so extremely well. That's admirable that he has that experience. Have you seen any other folks who have, even if they, they've had other conditions that you've just seen, come into the clinic that when they first come in, you can tell they're in significant pain. And by the time your team works with them, they're able to restore doing all the activities that they enjoy? 
Uh, absolutely. I'm, um, you, uh, we have plenty of patients that, that come in and see us and, you know, through a multi-modality approach, um, we have them feeling better, which, you know, is the reason why I, I don't want to speak for Dr. Choi, but I think that we both are passionate about this work because um, we, can, we can help offer the resources that help patients feel better. That sounds like a really good motivation to me. And Dr. Choi, when you see some of the folks that you've been able to successfully treat, either with ablation therapy or injection therapy or any other type of treatment modality, vertebral augmentation, et cetera, I'm sure that gives you just an immense sense of satisfaction in, in what you're doing and helping folks. Are there any particular stories that are memorable to you about some of the cases that you've treated over the years? Sure. Uh, there's couple of uh, situations that come to mind. Today, I just saw a patient, we're doing a spinal cord stimulator trial on him for chronic back pain, leg pain. That's not amenable to anything else. And so I just saw him and he has over 90% relief with uh, this particular therapy and he's just happy as can be. Um, I implanted him on Friday and uh, it was just a test. And today I saw him and um, we, we would even consider uh, terminating the, the trial today, but he was so happy with it, he wanted to continue the full one week. Um, so that's a, a huge success story. And then he would go to spinal cord simulator implant and uh, permanent so that uh, the therapy can be with him. Um, spinal cord simulator is kind of like a uh, pain pacemaker that gets implanted into the spine. And um, for treatments that are, um, or I mean conditions that are refractory to more conservative treatments, is a Great modality. Um, another example that I that I have is I, I had a cancer patient, a pancreatic cancer patient who was just in severe pain. I had extreme um, nausea and abdominal pain and back pain, and uh, I uh, I offered her a uh, intrathecal pump therapy where the medication is delivered directly into the central nervous system through the, the spine. And it's an implantation of a, a pump device, and so I implanted the device one day and then saw her for the um, post-op check the following morning, and she was sitting up in bed having breakfast, comfortable and awake because she wasn't sedated due to the the large amount of morphine, and she didn't have the nausea, she didn't have the abdominal pain, and it was just an amazing experience to see her comfortable, being able to engage and being able to eat, and... um, um, have relief uh, during the, you know, the tough process that you have to go through with that kind of diagnosis. Absolutely. I think that's one of the unfortunate types of cancers that often gets detected when it's a bit too late to do much for treatment, and people suffer a lot. So the fact that you could even see her up in bed and eating, the two things that people with pancreatic cancer often can't do, which is sit up for very long or even feel well enough to want to eat, is pretty amazing. I can see why the successes that you've had have helped to inspire you and motivate you to want to do more. Do you see any changes in what sort of modalities we're going to be able to offer in the future? Dr. Choi, what do you think is next for interventional pain specialists? We've gotten to the point of spinal cord stimulators and different types of pump devices with medications. What's next? Well, um, as we talked about before with surgeries, I think what's next um, 
is development of more and more minimally invasive type of approaches to offer therapies in the spine without the large surgeries. And I think the, there's a lot of research going on in the, um, and, and many products um, in the pipeline. I just recently implanted a small device in the spine for a patient. What it basically does is it opens up the spine by placing a device between the spinous processes Tiny little incision, just a couple of stitches, and um, it allows that space to remain open so that uh, the patient has relief of their spinal stenosis. Otherwise, they would have to have a uh, traditional laminectomy, get bone removed, and uh, have all the sort of complications related with it. Well, it certainly sounds like there's some exciting news out there. And as somebody who has a loved one who had a laminectomy, I know that that type of success is Hard uh, hard to do, but definitely well-deserved for those the discoveries. I hope we see more of that. Thanks for joining us on The Body Show. Thanks to our engineer, David Chong. We'll see you next week right here on air.